Welcome to the Building Texas Business Podcast. Interviews with thought leaders and organizational visionaries from across industry. Join us as we talk about the latest trends, challenges, and growth opportunities to take your business to the next level. The Building Texas Business Podcast is brought to you by Boyer Miller, providing counsel beyond expectations. Find out how we can make a meaningful difference to your business at BoyerMiller.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Chris Hanslick. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Hanslick, and I'm the chairman of Boyer Miller, a mid-sized law firm in Houston, Texas. I want to welcome you to Building Texas Business, a podcast about corporate innovation, entrepreneurship, and business leadership in the Lone Star State. The goal of this podcast is to learn from some of the best business leaders in Texas in hopes that their stories of growth, challenges, and success will inspire our listeners in their own journey to building a successful business. Today's guest is Jamie Roots. Jamie has been one of Houston's leading business executives for over two decades. He most recently served as the president of the Houston Texans, where he helped launch the then-new NFL franchise. Jamie has also served in a variety of nonprofit capacities, including terms as board chair for the Greater Houston Partnership and the United Way of Greater Houston. Prior to his time in Houston, he helped launch the Columbus Crew, an MLS franchise. Jamie's talents as a leader have been recognized by the HBJ as the Business Person of the Year in 2016, Most Admired CEO in 2019, and Sports Business Journal's 40 Under 40. Welcome to the podcast, Jamie. Chris, it's great to be with you. Always good to see you. Let's let's start. You, you've had a, a incredibly successful and long career in the sports industry. What inspired you to get involved in sports management or sports leadership? Yeah, well, I, I was involved with sports growing up as a soccer player and played through college. Left and didn't really know what I wanted to do, and so I went to IBM and spent several years as a as a sales rep for for mainframe computer equipment, but really didn't feel the passion for what I was doing. And and I had some friends that were involved in a a sporting goods manufacturing company and really thought that looked pretty cool. So decided to go back to graduate school, thought I might want to be a coach, might want to be in a sports business in some way. And that gave me an opportunity to evaluate both and made a decision I wanted to be in a sports business. The only problem was I didn't have a job in the sports business, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I went to Procter & Gamble. But during that whole period of uh, graduate school and beyond, I did informational interviews all over the place. Anybody who would sit down and talk to me about what I'd spend time with them. And then eventually one of those connections that I made came back around with an opportunity when Major League Soccer started. There weren't a lot of uh, folks involved in the soccer business from a business perspective. And so I had a you know a coaching background, a playing background, and a, and a business background. So all those things melded, and Lamar Hunt gave me an opportunity to work with him to launch the Columbus Crew, and, and I took it off from there. That's, that's neat. So you, you use the term inf- informational interview. Sounds like you did some of your own informal kind of market research to see if this was something you might find an opportunity in. Yeah, and you never know whether those discussions that you have are going to lead to uh, something or not, but people don't people don't typically don't object to you coming in and finding out about what they do. And so that was the premise. Fortunately, one of those one of those interactions that I had eventually turned into being something that could could get me into the industry and I tell you the hardest part about it is getting in. It's just a 
very difficult industry to, to get in and to, you know, get back into once you get out of. And so that's, that's just the nature of the beast. Gotcha. So you get this job in Columbus, Ohio, right. brand new league in a brand new franchise. What, what were some of the, I guess, fundamentals or building blocks that you thought were going to be important to be, make that successful? Yeah, the, the entire time that I was there was a startup. It was five years. First of all, I was starting up the team and playing at Ohio Stadium, and then we built the first training facility for an MLS franchise, which was needed because uh, we didn't have anywhere for our guys to practice. And so we put that together, and then eventually it launched a stadium. So it was these series of launches. I think that as, as I reflect on it, the, you know, the, just the absolute necessity to move quickly you know, to do something. When you're faced with a problem, do something. And if it's not exactly right, you can alter course. But so many things had to get done in such a small period of time, you couldn't, you know, spend a lot of time debating and, you know, analysis paralysis. You had to, you had to act and, and know that if it wasn't exactly right, that you were smart enough to, to engage. Kind of like, uh, you know, a, a, a car with, with uh, manual steering that until you get the wheels rolling, you can't really drive it. You've got to get the wheels rolling and make decisions and make choices and figure out what, what is right and what isn't right and then uh, address what's not right and get it fixed on the fly. You're building the plane as it's flying. Gotcha. So and I think something I use, and I think some of that is you have to act, but then you need to adjust, Right. And you learn from what you're doing and you make the right adjustments, but then you get back into action. That's right. You act and you adjust, you evaluate, you adjust. And then, and then, you know, it's this peeling back the onion, you know, of figuring out what isn't working right and get that fixed over and over and over until until it, the, the organization hums. So you took that experience in Columbus and you you brought it south to Houston, Texas, right. uh, a little over 20 years ago when when you're thinking about taking on this job and, and starting an NFL franchise in a league that was already established. Where, what did you bring with you and what, what were some of the fundamentals of when you think about we need to be a successful business that you really tried to incorporate and how did that evolve over time? Well, I think work ethic, humility, you know, thinking that we could be at an elite level, right? But we were going to work like we were in last place. And so, and, and you know, in the NFL, it's it's not hard to get people to to connect with you and engage with you about an involvement with the team. But the trick is, you know, doing things at a level that would meet the pro forma expectations of the franchise, whether that's naming rights or tickets or suites or sponsorships. You know, as you're putting all that together, it's all got to be done at the highest level. And fortunately for us, we consistently were able to do that. And it's, it's set a foundation for the franchise, you know, for a long period of time. When I know I've heard you talk before about that, that you focus on the fan experience. Tell us a little bit more about how you incorporated that mentality into your team to, to make sure the execution was there. Well, there's a phrase we used from the beginning that still exists, is create raving fans. Every fan, every time, right? So the goal is, and, and you're not always going to get it right, but then at that point you move into service recovery, trying to fix the problems and fix the people and, and, and demonstrate to them that you're going to go the extra mile so there's very little traffic on the extra mile, right? And you're going to go the extra mile to ensure that the experience they have with our organization is exceptional. So as, as, you, as you did that here, what were some of the challenges or setbacks that you encountered uh, along the way, and, and maybe one or two that you, you know, 
or at the top of your list, I'm sure there are maybe several. What were they? What did you learn from them? And how did that make your team better? Yeah, so the uh, tailgating was a kind of shining light for us from the very beginning. It didn't exist here in Houston when the Oilers were here. For whatever reason, it, it wasn't allowed, right? And so the games became a transaction. You'd come, you'd go to the game, and then you'd leave. And so we, we worked very hard to extend that day. So roughly 30,000 people tailgating two and a half hours prior to kickoff was a really a magical thing for the first number of years. Then there was, you know, Astroworld was taken down and a parking lot across the highway became available and someone got the rights to it and started selling parking and allowing people to come over into the tailgating lot to, to enjoy that experience without ever intending to go into the game. And first couple of games were fine. And then eventually we had one game, we had 20,000 people that weren't intending to go into the game. It was a Cowboys game. And it was just really a threat to the experience that people had come to expect. And so we took a very bold action. You know, we felt like we needed to protect the uh, the integrity of, of what our fans, our paying fans, our ticket holders and parking passholders, what, what they had invested in. And so we took the bold step of making not just the stadium a ticketed experience, but the entirety of the campus a ticketed experience so that you couldn't come onto the property unless you had a ticket and were intending to go to the game. And it fixed it right away. I mean, it was a bold action, a lot of debate about whether, you know, is that the right thing or the wrong thing to do, but the results speak for themselves. And, you know, sometimes you do have to take bold actions, particularly when you feel like you've encountered an existential threat to the experience that you're providing to your customers. That's right. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure there was uh, a lot of concern over whether that might backfire on something yep. that was such a shining star for you. Yeah, and fortunately for us, the very first first game, everything went back to normal. And, and as you went around through the parking lots, the fans were very appreciative of the fact that we did what it took to ensure that they we could deliver upon the experience that they were expecting and that they had historically had. Yeah. So... The, uh, the the things tailgating may be a good a good example. As you look back at, at what you were doing, you and the, your team at Houston Texans, what were some of the things that were really innovative for their time that, that you executed on and implemented, and now are almost institu- institutional? Yeah, yeah. Well, the the fact that tailgating had not existed, and we spent two years communicating with our fans that they are the best tailgaters in the National Football League and encouraged them to create that experience because you can't you can you can facilitate that experience but the fans have to embrace it and they have to create it right so we did everything that we needed to do in terms of infrastructure and from day one the fans got it loved it and engaged in it the idea of a ticketed environment was another innovation that now, you know, across the league, either folks are doing it or looking to do it. So, you know, that, that would be a, a great example of, of, of an innovation that we've, that we, that we championed. The other thing is, you know, from a food and beverage perspective, you know, NFL stadiums have moved from, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers to really providing a, a culinary experience. You know, we talked about the, the Houston is the culinary capital of the South, and we were going to be a celebration of that. Whether that's you know Chris Chris Shepard or Ronnie Killen or uh, Good Company Barbecue, just slowly but surely started introducing these well-known concepts and you know, provided folks a chance to do kind of a taste of Houston when they come on Gay Bay, in addition to coming to you know a great experience. So I, I got to think 
you know, bringing in those named chefs and restaurants inside the stadium is to me one of the most unique things about a Texans game that now you're starting to see take place other places. Yeah, that's right. Well, it, it, we were, you know, we were on the front end of the of the trend, but absolutely the trend is accelerating because fans' expectations are raising. Now it's, it's it's more expensive to go to a game. You know, what else besides watching the game are you providing me? Because I can. The biggest competition that you face is your own game on television, right? Oh, sure. People can stay at home and they can watch the game in the comfort of their couch. But what's different about coming here? The food and beverage experience is part of it. The interactivity that you experience while you're in the stadium. Tailgating is an experience that you don't do from your couch. And so we really did try to focus on those things that made coming to a game different than sitting and watching on television. When you when you uh, say interactivity during a game, what are some of the examples of that? Well, the you know what, uh, video board prompts, audio prompts. One one example is the, the 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 karaoke that we we created. You know, we picked a point in the game that we thought fans would really want to participate and engage. Tried to pick songs that everybody knew the words to, and 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 then just ask them to do it because people people typically most people want to participate in the in the action. They want to be part of it. You think about all the screaming and cheering that goes on when you're on defense. I mean, that's they want to influence the outcome of the game. And so we really thought often about how, how do we bring people into it, not just to watch the game, but to be part of the game, to participate in the game. You know, whether it's the the first down, uh, first down chant that we've yeah. done forever, right. uh, or the player introductions that have you have the opportunity for you to shout the last name, and and uh, you know over time those things will evolve, and you 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 know things get old, and you move away from them and move into others. But I do think interactivity is is the the thing that that makes coming to a game different and uh, really sticky for fans. Tailgating is another great interactivity because you don't. I mean, it doesn't just happen. Right, you have to prepare for it. You have to communicate with your friends. What, you know who all's coming. What are we going to have to eat? You prepare the meal, and uh, you know in this fast-paced world that we live in, we never stop to really be human with others. And and game day is a chance to be able to do that. That's to build great. a community. Yeah. Well, and I know the Texans are, are really about building community. And I've heard you say before, really, and I think this started with with Mr. McNair. You saw the the team as a community asset. Yeah, and McNairs have always approached the Texans as that 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 they are caretakers of a community asset, right? That this is for Houston. That was really Bob's sole ambition was to ensure that Houston had a National Football League team and to work hard to win a championship. Think about the you know the core fundamentals of any sports franchise that succeeds. It's about winning championships. Not that you always win, but that you're you're constantly focused. That's your primary focus. Creating memorable experiences. It's not just about coming to a game. It's doing things that touch people emotionally. That's that's different than just watching the game at home. And then to to do great things for the community. And the Texans have long been recognized for being a you know an anchor in the, from a charitable perspective and always looking for ways to to move the ball forward. The McNairs, whether that's Bob McNair or Janice Cal McNair, now I mean they they still continue to carry on that uh, that great tradition. Uh, well, Houston's grateful for it for sure. The uh, so you you know you're talking in the terms of you know fans and and the focus on that that game day experience, but. I think fundamentally for any business, what, what you're talking about, you recognize that those fans were your customers. Yes. Right? And, mm-hmm. and 
you know, our obviously the our listeners are aren't going to be running a, a franchise, NFL franchise. But if you think about the things that you tried to focus on and, and get your your team to focus on about creating a great customer experience, what are some of the maybe fundamentals you think transcend any industry that that you could share? Yeah, it's it's about whatever mechanism you have to understand what it is that people are looking for from you, and give it to them. And give it to them at a great value. You know, and value is not necessarily in price. Value is the the quality of the of the product, the experience, and price. You know, that intersection between the two. And so, figuring out what people want and giving it to them applies to any business. I got you. Yeah, it makes sense. The other thing that you know that I think I don't think I know the Texans have been known for for years was a great place to go work, to be trained. You did a lot of promotion within, but you're, you also brought out where your people got good jobs, maybe somewhere else. Right. From my interpretation of that is you created an, an amazing corporate culture there. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how, how you felt the culture was when, when you were at the helm and maybe some of the things you did to, to foster that? Yeah, culture is absolutely imperative, right? Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast, yeah. right? And so it's about it's about the habits that people engage in within the organization. The culture, you know, I can't say it's good or bad. It's strong or weak, you know, and a strong culture indicates that you've got a consistency of thought and of action. And, you know, one of the things we did when we transitioned from a startup environment to more of an ongoing business was to have a look at the the employees within our organization that were exceptional. You know, what are the things that they do more often than not, and how might we replicate that throughout the organization? And came up with with an acronym that that encapsulated that, and there's impact. We want people that want to have an impact. And the I is about being innovative, constantly looking for new and better ways to do what we do. M is about uh, memorable. People who wanted to create memories and they wanted to be remembered for something. They wanted to go out and make a difference. P is about being passionate about the work, being passionate about our customers and our fans, about the organization, uh, the community. A is about accountability, holding themselves accountable for their best performance every day and holding others around them accountable for their best. C is about courage, you know, just ask people to do what's right and accept the consequences. And T is about being team, team first. That it's about team victories. You have individual accomplishments, but they're within the greater framework of the of a team environment. And 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 it's not just about establishing those things. It's about over communicating those and creating processes that facilitate that. So our annual review process, our rewards and recognition program was all built around impact and telling stories. Telling stories of ways that people were out being innovative, memorable, passionate, accountable, courageous, and team first. I, I would think those stories, as you're able to tell them, reinforces those behaviors because people can. It's tangible. People can say, "Okay, I, I can see how I, I can demonstrate passion." Right. Or innovation. Yeah, well, you're recognizing the individual, which is great. Reinforces that you're headed in the right direction. But for everybody else, it does. It gives them a great example of how they might engage more deeply in the idea of impact. How did you incorporate, if you did, these, this impact concept into the hiring process? Yeah, well, we, we talked about that as a cultural thing in the hiring process. We... Uh, talked about three things. We need people with, with a great work ethic. 
having a winning attitude, positive, optimistic, team-oriented, and a, a demonstrated commitment to operate consistently with the va- values of our organization, which we termed as impact, because it really it felt like you can operationalize that. People can understand that. They know what's expected of them. It's probably the most important thing for an employee is to know what's expected of me every day at work, right? Yeah. So, and we would talk about it, and and then we all, you know, in the in the hiring process, got to this idea of a draft class of bringing in a group of of interns. Let's say twelve interns on an annual basis. They spend nine months with the organization, demonstrating that they get it and that they want to be part of that, you know, because you just, it, it's there. I mean, you, it's palpable. And you either show by your actions that that's who you are, you have a great work ethic, you have a winning attitude, a desire to operate consistently with the values, or you don't. And if you do, we work hard to try to find a place for you. And if not, then, you know, we'll work to help you find your next somewhere else. Gotcha. Now, the other thing that transpired during your tenure at the Texans is you a second company was created. Most people don't know about Lone Star Sports and Entertainment. Maybe tell us first just a little bit about that so people understand what that is, and I have a couple questions for you about it. Yeah, it was an opportunity to host other events at NRG Stadium, and so we put that under the umbrella back in 2003. Lone Star Sports and Entertainment really focused on soccer to begin with and then moved into college football. So when you see the Texas Bowl, you see the Texas kickoff. You see Gold Cup or Copa America, et cetera. All of those events are managed under the Lone Star Sports and Entertainment umbrella. So some of you know our listeners may have either two companies they're managing or, or different divisions. What were some of the things that you did as the president of both of those organizations to make sure, one, you, they were both getting or felt like they were getting enough of your time and attention? And how, you know, how did you go about that to make sure you were actually giving them both sufficient time and attention to be successful? Well, unfortunately, we were all in the same place, right? And so, and the leadership of Lone Star Sports and Entertainment participated as a leader within the leadership team of, of the Texans. The key to it was the collaboration and, and, and cross-use of resources, you know, so that you didn't replicate things that could be done best on one side or the other. And so we found a, you know, a a good place where there were a number of people focused on the Lone Star business and then got the full support of the organization, broader organization of the Texans. Gotcha. So kind of leading to, you know, maybe more of a personal question for you. How would you describe your leadership style and leadership philosophy? Yeah. You know, I always try to lead by example. Don Shula said, I know other, no, no other way to lead than by example, right? And when I think about the traits that leaders need to have, I actually created an acronym to remind myself, right? Of these are the things that really matter. And it's praise, P-R-A-I-S-E. And P is about people, you know, understanding people, being a good evaluator of talent, getting the right people on your team. R is about resilience. You know, you got to you got to be able to bounce back from failure quickly and and keep everybody headed in the right direction. A is about authenticity, being authentically passionate about the purpose of the organization, about the people, about the organization itself. I is about being inspiring, you know, being able to inspire others. S is about seeing around corners, you know, being so deeply engaged in what you're doing that you can kind of see the next challenge and the next opportunity and bring that back to the team in order for it to be worked on. And then E is about execution, having a way of doing things that gets results consistently. And, and 
you know, there are a lot of different ways you can look at leadership. For me, that's always just been a great reminder of the things that I have to I have to be good at as a leader. I would praise, and I like the use of acronyms. I'll 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 do this for you, but I, I know. It's, those two and others are in the book you wrote uh, that was released, I guess, in 2019, I believe. Uh, 2020, end of 2020. End of 2020. The winning, winning Game Plan. The Winning Game Plan, award-winning, best-selling book. So congratulations on that. Thank you. You know, thinking about your journey, I know there's been people in your life that you look to as mentors. You know, maybe share a little bit about who those people are and, and what it was that made them such an impactful influence in your life. Yeah. I think uh, there were two, and one was in Columbus, and there were others. But uh, Lamar Hunt, when I was in Columbus, Bob McNair here with the Houston Texans, even back to being at Indiana University, Jerry Yagley, who was the head men's soccer coach there. I think all of them, they were great people, very successful in their own right. But just the example that they set was, I mean, there was really not a lot of hand-holding, you know, education, instruction. It was more by the way they they conducted themselves, really had a profound impact on me and was able to pull things from their, you know, their activities, their, their personalities, just their way of being, and try to put that into myself to become a better uh, leader, manager, father, husband, whatever, they they were pretty good across the board, all, all, all three of them. That's great. Pretty pretty special people that, yeah, Absolutely. that have come across your life. Been blessed. And, but not everyone, not everyone takes advantage of it. And I think that's the other thing, right? You be aware that that's a special moment. Yeah. Um, and, and keep your eyes open and, and, you know, identify those things that you think are positive and can, can help you and, and work hard to try to put them into your repertoire. So... The listening base out uh, out there is, is business owners or people maybe thinking about it, right? And I just wonder if you have a, two or three things that you might share with someone who's out there thinking about starting a business or has started it and, and wants to grow it or take it to the next level. Anything that you'd say, hey, man, I, I wish I'd known this when I started or, or here are some fundamentals that have applied across everything I've done. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing I can say is thank you. You know, that you know, our, our economy is so reliant upon small business owners, entrepreneurs. It isn't easy. Uh, just know that it is very, very important. And go do it and keep doing it. And, you know, that, that going, going back around to what we talked about at the beginning, that, you know, you just got to gotta keep going forward and identify what's working and what's not working and just keep moving the ball forward. Fix what's not working and what is working, double down on, might, might have been the greatest learning that I, that, that I had starting up a, a soccer team and in a league that was starting up, so everything was brand new. But the thank you that the community really owes a debt of gratitude to the small business owners and the entrepreneurs that helped un, you know, support employment and capital investment within our community economic development more broadly. Yeah. One of the things that I interpret from some of the stories you've told that got you going is don't be afraid to follow your passion. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's important. You know, purpose and passion kind of go, go hand in hand. That, you know, if you find that you've got a purpose in your life that you want to you fulfill upon, go do it. And that purpose will fuel your passion. If, if you're not passionate about it, you're probably not going to be able to withstand the, you know, the 
the hard knocks that are going to come, and they are going to come. But if you are passionate about it, you feel like it's a purpose. I, I think back to the Columbus experience. I mean, there were lots of challenges in the way, but we're so dead set on making this a success that we were able to push through. We were able to endure the challenging times in order to see the successful times. So as a leader, it's important to have some self-awareness about yourself, right? What what did what did you do to kind of build your team to uh, accentuate your strengths, but also you know, take care of your weaknesses or blind spots? Yeah, well, just tried to think think deeply about the types of things that that I'm good at. I mean, I'm a kind of a blue sky over the horizon kind of guy, and and not so much details and blocking and tackling, and just embracing that. You know, we, we, somebody who is the kind of green into the into the weeds into the details we'll see the world very differently but bringing those two things together is you know create create synergy you you you've got to embrace that you know that other people have strengths that you don't and be humble enough to accept that you know in this case I'm going to take their lead and and in this case maybe this is where I should be leading you know Right. Kegers back, I think you said this earlier, uh, work ethic and humility. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely critical. Well, uh, those are all, you know, great things I think that anyone can benefit from. So kind of go to a little bit lighter side yeah. of some questions before we wrap it up. What was your first job? My first job was when I was 15, I think, and I worked at a soccer camp in Atlanta, Georgia. And my job was to lock and unlock doors for the campers, right? I got to eat for uh, eat for free, and I got the chance to train every day, and so and which was awesome. People would ask me, "You're not getting paid?" No, I'm getting nah, but this is this is great. Yeah. This is exactly what I need to be doing. And, and and then I went about later, you know, starting my own soccer camp. So got me into a little bit of a business that helped me through college. Oh, that's great. Okay, so I know I know you like food. So Texas podcast prefer Tex-Mex or barbecue? Yes, <laughs> but if I had to pick on a day, I, I think I'd go with Tex-Mex. I uh, that's that's where you'll see me more more often than than barbecue. But they're both great. That's good. That, that means we've done a good job converting you to to being a Texan. Right? <laughs> hey, it didn't take long. Uh, <laughs> Texas is a wonderful place. We. Love it here and feel like feel like this is home. Absolutely, that's great. Any any book you're currently reading or have just read that you would recommend? I wouldn't say it was recent. Actually, I'll throw out two. One one is Extreme Ownership, and that's by Jocko Willink and uh, Leif Babin, both Navy SEALs. It's a great great concept. Actually, it's an awesome read, fun read. And the second would be uh, Confidence by Rosebeth Moss Canner where she looks at organization and tries to figure out about winning and losing and, and what drives it. And lots of organizations, not just, you know, does some in sports, but more traditional business, nonprofits, et cetera. Those are both two, you know, pretty foundational books to the way that I look at, at leadership and, and business. Very good. I've got those written down. So finally, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies or interests? My <laughs> focus really are around work and, and around family. And then maybe an occasional round of golf. But I'm not a big, I've never been a big hobby person. I kind of get really very uh, engulfed in what it is that I'm doing. I'm an all-in person. That's great. Well, Jamie, I want to thank you for agreeing to come on today and, and share your thoughts and, and, and stories. And it was, it was great to learn more about you and really appreciate the time. Great to be with you, Chris.
And there we have it, another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at BoyerMiller.com forward slash podcast. And you can find out more about all the ways our firm can help you at BoyerMiller.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.